0: All right, Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Make your way there in your scriptures if you're not already there. And let's begin this morning by reading our text for our study. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 24. We're going to read verses 24 through 30, and then we'll pick up our reading in verse 36 down through verse 43. So read along with me silently as I read out loud, beginning in verse 24. These are the words of God for us. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. These are the words of the Lord, and this is the parable of the weeds and the wheat, or what has been known in the past as the parable of the wheat and the tares, an old word for weeds. We are familiar in our culture with the context of verse 24 and the words that we find there. He put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed. So prevalent. So prevalent. In our culture is the use and the abuse of the word like that. This is not a difficult understanding for us. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man is just like saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man. It's a simile. If you're a grammar student, a parable is an extended simile. This is like the kingdom. This picture that is about to be painted is a picture that reflects the truth of the kingdom. The kingdom is like this common story. And it is this story that is presented to us that causes us to pause a moment and to consider the kingdom of heaven and the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven that are revealed and concealed in this parable. If you've been with us from the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, we started with an introductory look at the parables. Their purpose is primarily twofold with a third component. They are to conceal the mysteries of the kingdom, that is, the previously unrevealed truths. They are to reveal those same mysteries to a different group. And thirdly, they are to confront those who sit idly by or sit on the fence of decision regarding the kingdom and its king, our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we face this parable with... The same question as we face the parable of the sower or the parable, more accurately, of the soils. What causes this parable to be given? What is the problem behind the parable? And this is key to our interpretation, to our understanding of these parables each and every time. What is it that is bringing this parable to light? Why is Jesus saying what he's saying? Why is he using this parable to reveal and to conceal these truths? I believe the problem this morning is connected directly to the parable of the soils. I trust you haven't forgotten that the recipients of these parables originally, the first recipients, were Jewish people. They were the disciples primarily, and the crowds that were gathered on the bank of the sea, Jesus in the boat, and he's speaking to Jewish people. And he has clearly declared that the kingdom is here. John the Baptist has said the kingdom is here. Jesus has said the kingdom is here. Is here. But there is confusion. Because the kingdom. In the parable of the soils. Is filled with at this point. People who have. Outright rejected. Those who have sprung to life. But only to fall away. Who have never had a true. Rooted relationship. To Jesus Christ. Last week. We examined this first parable. of The soils and found that the plan the purposes of God will not be thwarted by unbelief it's not that God has lost control it's not that Christ has somehow been been frustrated in his kingdom effort this week we deal with a totally different problem but a related problem and that is that there is unbelief in the kingdom that's the problem The problem is there is unbelief. There are unbelievers in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that a problem? Because from our Old Testament perspective, there was no potential revealed of unbelief in the kingdom. We spent our adult Sunday school time examining part of it, at least examining the new covenant promises from Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 39. In those texts, we have promises made to Israel of what it would be when the new covenant was was exposed, revealed, and brought to bear on their existence. And in those promises of the new covenant, there is a land promise for Israel, which is yet to be realized. And there are spiritual promises made to Israel, which are inaugurated with the coming of the King. But nowhere in those promises is the potential of unbelief of unbelievers present with the recipients of the kingdom. And so no doubt the parable that we're addressing this morning faces the difficult questions from the disciple. The problem with the disciples is that there are unbelievers and believers in this kingdom of heaven in the presence of the king. How can that be? This kingdom of heaven that has been inaugurated, but not yet consummated. Was Jesus the Lord of his kingdom or not? And if so, why is there unbelief? To put this in common vernacular, it's like the disciples are are played with the thought. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's in charge of this operation? Because this kingdom has a whole bunch of unbelief in it. We're here. We're in the presence of the king. And yet there is unbelief in these Pharisees and from the parable of the soils, there will be more unbelief. So while they are encouraged by the promise of some 100 fold, some 60 fold and some 30 fold of true fruit that endures because of the heart change of the new covenant promise. The disciples must face the reality that there will be rejection and deception in the present kingdom. The inaugurated, but not yet consummated kingdom of heaven. This is the problem that leads to this revealing and concealing parable. Stanley Ellison asks, are all who exist in God's kingdom now true children of the kingdom? Can we tell the difference? Is everybody who now exists after Christ has come, are they all a part of his kingdom Even further, Stanley Ellison asks, how can we know the difference if there are those under this new age, this new era in which Christ has come? The Jews are asking if there are those who do not believe, how do we know true children of the kingdom from those that are not? This was a problem for them. Simply because in the Old Testament, there was. No explanation given. And so Jesus here reveals a secret, a mystery of the kingdom. The parable of the weeds and the wheat picks up in verse number 24. So with that problem in mind that there are unbelievers present in the face of Christ, who is the king of the kingdom, and in the reality that the kingdom is here, we find this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. This is the parable that is presented in the face of the problem. The Jews are present in the crowd that is hearing this parable and they are probably caught up with a good old whodunit story i mean jesus presents this this great illustration of a a true to life kind of experience the parable is not difficult for us to understand same picture of sowing as last week a man goes out and sows seed of wheat in his field that's pretty basic. We get that, okay? We, we understand. And Don't be trapped into making parallels between the parable of the soils and the parable of the weeds and the wheat yet. We simply know that a man has sown wheat in his field and planted good seed. Along comes his enemy and plants weeds in his field. This is ancient vandalism, all right? Now, before Christ, I got kicks from vandalism my shame i was wicked and i got a rush out of vandalism but i never went to somebody's field or garden and planted weeds and snickered in the corner because i had planted weeds guys you're never going to believe what i pulled off last night i went over there and i planted weeds in their bed isn't that awesome Uh, that's not something that we experience but this is ancient vandalism this is no different than tagging busting in car windows whatever it is that is modern day vandalism now, these weeds are no ordinary weeds, and this is your random fact of the day. You can write this in the margin of your Bible if you like. These are bearded darnels. all right? I don't know about you, but occasionally I listen to 580, which is the uh, Fresno KMJ talk station in the morning. And in the morning, for some reason, they have these commercials on for farmers that it's all about these uh, weed killers, and I'm sorry, farmers, you're, you're going to have me butcher this. In fact, you know what? I'm not going to do it. They have these names for these weeds that are just hilarious. And I've heard them repeatedly. And this week, as I looked at these weeds and I found out they're called bearded darnels, I thought, so this is a long standing thing. Weeds have weird names, all right? These are bearded darnels. And bearded darnels are particularly dangerous to wheat farmers because, one, they look like wheat, and two, They carry a mold that if it is combined with the wheat will cause severe vomiting and potential death. These were serious weeds. This was sabotage. This was terrorism of the ancient sort. He was ruining this man's crop and attempting to sabotage all those who would be the recipients of his produce. All right. This is what's happening in this story. You can almost feel the crowd on the bank going. No way. He didn't plant weeds in there, not the bearded darnel, right? This is the story given to us. And those who have no ears to hear or eyes to see are caught up in a fascinating story of sabotage, but then justice. All right. Continue on in the parable. In verse 26, when the weeds have grown up, there is finally the revelation that there are both there is both wheat and there are weeds present among The wheat, the servants go to the master in verse 27, and they ask exactly what we would expect them to ask. What is their initial response? They are simply servants of this master. They work in his field. They care for his farm and his ranch. And they assume right away that he made a mistake. That somehow the master of this field planted in this field both weeds and wheat. I mean, what kind of novice do we work for? Have you seen the field? It's got as much weed in it as it does, as much bearded darnel in it as it does wheat. This is going to take us forever. And they go to him and say, Master, did you or did you not plant good soil? And you can almost see them looking at each other out of the corner of their eye like, Hey, boss, where'd you get that seed that you used on the field? Because it's full of weeds master in the story says don't go picking it up now an enemy's done this but don't go pick it up now because you might rip out the wheat you might damage the wheat if you execute judgment on the weed you will no doubt tear up some wheat as well so he says in verse 28 an enemy has done this so the servant says then do you want us to go and gather them and he says no less than gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them let them both grow together until the harvest and at harvest time i will tell the reapers gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn and so he says no just let it go until it's fully grown and then it will be clearly distinguishable and the reapers who come to do the reaping will have them divided out will burn the weeds as a only resource for them and will Store the grain as we had anticipated. We'll store the wheat in my barn. An enemy did this to the field. And the reapers are the ones entrusted with dividing out the crop from the poison. All right. So that's the story. So Jesus says, here's what the kingdom's like. The kingdom is like this man who sows good wheat in his field. But his enemy comes and sabotages that crop with weeds. Servants find out, go to the master and say, is it your fault that this happened? He says, no, it's an enemy that is doing this. They say, should we go then and get the weeds out? No, let them grow together. And at the harvest, they'll be distinguished. One will go to fire and one will go to the barn. Now, we have the distinct privilege of having already read together verses 36 through 43. 43. But for those on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, listening to the man, Christ Jesus, in the boat, tell them this story. This is a very confusing story. Exactly how does this mirror the kingdom? Really. But with the problem in mind of the soils, three of which are not true followers of Christ and not sons of the kingdom... We're presented with this story as the remedy or the answer to that problem. How can it be that Jesus, the king, is here? The kingdom has begun, but there are unbelievers all over the place. Jesus says, this is the story, and we are blessed to have the parallel. So we have the problem, we have the parable, and now we have the parallel. The parallel comes in verses 36 through 43. Where we find the explanation from Jesus. He explains to us exactly what is going on in this parable. He draws correlations between the elements of the parable to the elements of the story. For the sake of making one central point. One central truth. Let's pick up that parallel. The interpretation from Jesus in verse 36. Jesus goes into the house. What is Whose is the house? Remember this? This is Mary's house. This is where Jesus grew up, more than likely. And he goes back into the house, and the disciples join him in the house. This time, the disciples ask for help. They've heard two other parables, the parable of the mustard seed. Actually, yes, two other parables, the mustard seed and the leaven. And they've heard a declaration again of the purpose of the parables. But this parable, the weeds and the wheat, is still stuck in their crawl. And they come in and say, Jesus, help us understand that parable of the weeds. And he does. Now, we aren't going to read through this and go through every word that is here. But let's get the descriptions down beginning in verse 37 that are critical to us for us to understand the central point of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Number one, the sower in this parable is the son of man. It's Jesus himself It's the king of the kingdom. Jesus says the sower is the son of man. Number two, the field is the world. This is key to our understanding. Many, many, many interpreters have interpreted this parable as the field being the church. And so the church is made up of believers and unbelievers. But unfortunately, Jesus says exactly what the field is. So it's a little bit of a mystery, not of the kingdom, just a mystery of why an interpreter would think that the field is the church when Jesus says the field is the cosmos. It's the world. It's, it's the whole world. That's the field. The good seed or the wheat are the sons of the kingdom. Now, remember, in the parable of the soils, the seed was the word of the kingdom. It was the gospel. It's a totally different account. This is a totally different parable. Don't Mesh them and meld them into one. Don't mix and mash them to make one amazing interpretation of the parable. All right? The seed, the good seed, are the sons of the kingdom. They're people. Fourthly, the weeds or the bad seed are the sons of the evil one. Notice verse 38. The field is the world, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed, verse 39, is the devil. So number five, truth number five, that is key for us to get the point of the parable. The enemy is the devil. Sixthly, in verse 39, the harvest is the close of the age, of this era. There will be a close to the era in which Jesus spoke these parables. This alone would have been information that was new to the disciples. Their understanding was the Messiah will come and the kingdom is inaugurated and we go from there into eternity. Israel is restored and all is right before God. But this harvest time that is found in the parable is the close of the age. That is the age of Christ. Number seven. The reapers in the harvest are the angels from heaven. In verses 40 through 43, Jesus further explains that even the fire is a meaningful word picture, since the kingdom will be purged of all lookalike sons of the kingdom. So in this kingdom, we have belief and unbelief, and it is difficult to distinguish between the two. And at the day of harvest which is the end of the age, the angels will come and will separate the weeds from the wheat. The sons of the evil one. From the sons of the kingdom, verse 41, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom, that is the world, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Those are both people definitions. People are causers of sin and lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, notice these these words from verses 41 through 43. Hell's agonies will be the end of all weeds. That is the sons of the evil one. And heaven's glories will be the end for The righteous, the good seed, the sons of the kingdom who have been planted by the son of man himself. Jesus wraps this up with his classic ending. He who has ears, let him hear sitting in the house, looking at the disciples. And he says, if you've got ears to hear this, hear it. So that leaves us with the question, with the parable of the weeds and the wheat And with the explanation in the parallel from Jesus in verses 36 through 43, we are left with the question, as we should be, what is the point? What's the point of this parable? What are we to glean from this? And then furthermore, how should we obey this? Uh, Brothers and sisters, we have not gathered here this morning to get more information merely. We have not gathered here this morning to increase our Bible knowledge. I trust that you have gathered, we have gathered, to be conformed to Christ. And this text has that as its spirit goal. Holy Spirit intends for this passage to affect us, so we need the point and we need to apply it to our daily lives. Let me explain to you what I believe the best understanding of the point for this parable is the church era in God's kingdom plans will include unbelief and even look alike professors of faith in Christ. Okay, Jesus came, he inaugurated his kingdom, he will return to consummate his kingdom until he returns in this unrevealed age of the church. The world will include both unbelievers and believers living in the same space. This is clearly what is communicated through the parable and even Jesus' explanation of the parable. The kingdom will not be derailed by this reality, nor is it the result of faulty planning or quality in Jesus, the king. So there is no place for us to say, Jesus, What kind of seed exactly did you sow in your kingdom? The enemy is identified as the devil himself, who has, in fact, planted seed in the same field. So in the world in which you live, there are both sons of the enemy, that is, sons of the devil, and there are sons of the kingdom, that is, sons of Christ present. Christ is no less reigning over his kingdom. He is patiently waiting for the harvest day when reapers will divide the crop. The weeds will be set apart from the wheat. The point of this parable is one of critical behind the scenes information. We are being given a behind the scenes look at the world in which we live. There are only two groups of people in the world and there are only two leaders in the world. You either follow King Jesus or you follow the leader, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, who is given freedom during this time temporarily and who plants seeds, sons of his his name, his character. Those with ears have the information needed to live with awareness and confidence in this previously unrevealed era Of the kingdom purposes of God. So what is the point? Well here it is. The kingdom will include. Both true and false believers. Until the culmination and judgment. At the end of the age. So don't be surprised. I mean if Jesus is. Is being practical with the disciples. He's saying you shouldn't be rattled by this. Understand that this is the way it will be. The enemy will sow weeds amongst the wheat. The servants of the master need not execute judgment on the weeds. That's coming. It's coming at the day of harvest. When the age is closed, when Christ returns, and when his kingdom is known in its fullness, then the field will be divided into its two parts. Does that, does that make sense? There's a problem here. Jesus has come, but there's unbelievers. That's not a part of the Old Testament understanding. So Jesus says, well, there's a parable to explain it and to hide it. The parable is this sower who sows good seed. And this enemy who sabotages his crop, these servants who ask to remove the weeds who are told no, and the reapers who will come at the harvest day and divide them out fire and barn. The kingdom at present will include both true and false believers, both rejectors and true sons of the kingdom until the culmination and judgment at the end of the age or at the return of Christ. So do not be afraid, do not be worried, do not doubt the king. Here's what's happening. Okay, so with that being the point, we have the, the problem, the parable. The parallel and the point, what are the applications? How do we take this text and see it lived out in our lives? How are we affected for the glory of God by this text? That should be our question every Sunday. That should be the question every day when we encounter God's word and worship him through our hearing of his word through study. How can I be affected to look more like Christ? How could grace become more evident Because of this text in my life. Well here are a couple suggestions. I present these to you. One. Know that there is an enemy. And that the enemy. Is always opposed. To the king. Know that there is an enemy. And that the enemy. Will be always opposed. To the king and his kingdom. There is an enemy. Satan is no laughing matter. In fact, he would love nothing more. And I'm sure he enjoyed yesterday highly because many were dressed up as him. And the joke was on them because they dressed up as the one who deceives the heart of men, who blinds the eyes of the lost, who keeps people from the gospel, who corrupts the very message of truth, who blinds from hope, who keeps from heaven. The joke's on them. They dressed up like him. Not only that, but our culture laughed and he loved it. Because he does not, he does not appear with horns, a blood red face, an evil sneer, a tail, a pitchfork. Oh no. Oh no. He comes as an angel of light. He's got the best costume you could imagine. He comes as one bearing the truth. Almost. Almost. Satan is real. He is the enemy of our king, and he's the enemy of his kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 calls Satan the one who masquerades as an angel of light. So, know that there is an enemy, and that he is and always will be the enemy of the king and his kingdom. This should be an awareness level upgrade for you. When you are out and about in your daily life, living life in the kingdom of heaven, not yet consummated with believers and unbelievers living in the same area, know that the enemy is at work in them and is opposing you as a kingdom missionary, your king and the kingdom work that he is accomplishing. Secondly, know and fear the reality of unbelief. Okay, brothers and sisters, listen, this this should consume us. We've We've been through Matthew 10. We've seen the call for kingdom missions, but we should be re-informed by the parable of the wheat and the weeds that there is unbelief in the world today, and it has everything to do with the way we view the world in which we live. It is not a neutral place. Everybody's not going to the same end. Not everyone will be in the barn. John MacArthur and his extremely helpful this has been one of the best sections of reading that i've done from his commentaries in matthew chapter 13 if you don't have it i highly commend it to you the church is called to preach and teach against sin and all unrighteousness but in doing that its purpose is not to judge or execute judgment but to win souls not to punish but to convert sons of the evil one into sons of the kingdom so the reality of unbelief for the disciples and for us has everything to do with the way we see our life as a part of the kingdom as sons of the kingdom now why are we here i mean that's a fair question why are we here with only this many of us in these green chairs today Because the king hasn't come back to consummate his kingdom. Therefore, the reality of the parable of the wheat and the weeds is still in effect. The age has not closed. And we are here not to go around executing God's wrath on those who are sons of the evil one. But rather with the message of hope presented to the sons of the evil one. So that they might, by the grace of God, become sons of the kingdom. You are not God's instrument of judgment on unbelievers. Maybe you've heard the most extreme cases of this. When those who profess faith in Christ take their 12 gauge shotgun and go to an abortion clinic and kill the doctor who runs the clinic. That would be in direct disobedience to this reality. You are not God's executor of judgment. His angels will take care of distinguishing and setting apart the two groups for their designed end. Thirdly. So know the enemy. Know that there is an enemy and that that enemy is the enemy of the king. Know and fear the reality of unbelief in a motivation to give the gospel. And thirdly, develop patience for the coming day of distinction. Cultivate patience for the coming day of distinction. Peter told the suffering believers that God's waiting to return, Christ's delay in coming, was not slackness. It's not that God is distracted in heaven and he's going, Oh man, I missed it. I better get on it and get back to earth. It's his patience. So that all who are his are brought to repentance. Cultivate a spirit of patience. An understanding of God's great scheme and what he's doing. The close of the age is coming. It's coming. But until it does. Unbelief will exist. Not to the frustration of the kingdom. But as an opportunity for us with the gospel. To go to those who are sons of the evil one. Now, back to a problem interpretation from this parable. All right? One final concluding point. In verse number 38, we find the words, The field is the world. I mentioned that many have interpreted it as the church. And that's extremely problematic. Why? Well, because the entire parable hinges upon the master's instructions not to deal with the weeds To allow the day of harvest to come. To allow the reapers to come. And distinguish between the wheat and the weeds. So if this kingdom. This field. Is the church. We have a very big problem. When we read in Matthew chapter 18. That we are to distinguish. Between unbelief and believers within the church. That sin is to be confronted. And disciplined. And that false teachers are to be put out. And to be separated from. You see this is not dealing with the church. The church is the gathering place. Of the sons of the kingdom. In the world. So what is the church? It is is the gathering. It is the collection of. The sons of the kingdom. Who exist in the field. If we were to make this parable. Walk beyond what it should. It's the wheat meeting. Meeting. The weeds are excluded from the meeting. The church is the gathering place of the sons of the kingdom. It is the church's responsibility to maintain that purity. It is the passion of our New Testaments that shepherds take very seriously the guarding of the flock, which is the gathering of the sons of the kingdom waiting for their king to return, being equipped for the work of the ministry and for the proclamation of the gospel in the field, which is the world. So, we must know that there is an enemy and know what he's all about. We must understand and be gripped by the reality of unbelief and the opportunity for the gospel. Thirdly, we must develop patience, cultivate patience, knowing that God is not slack concerning his promises, he's patient bringing all who are His to Himself. And fourthly, we must be concerned constantly that the church be the gathering of the sons of the kingdom in the world, pure, protected by shepherds who are careful with the Scriptures and who uphold and defend the apostolic gospel. Okay? The kingdom will include The kingdom in the present will include both true and false believers until the culmination and judgment at the end of the age. Now, why is it so critical that purity in the church be a be an application from this text? Well, because you have seen and if you have not experienced, you know of the church that has become more like the world than like its king. How Does that happen? That happens by flinging open the doors to all that exist in the field. If we are to protect the purity of the body, the purity of the membership of a local church, it will be to the exclusion of those who are sons of the enemy. If sons of the enemy are allowed to exist, coexist, the confusion that will result will be catastrophic. And we live in that confusion. People saying they're Christians that aren't Christians. People thinking they're Christians without the gospel. People saying they're Christians without knowing who Christ is. Reinterpreting who he is. They have a different king and they say they're in the kingdom. We have mass confusion because the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been preserved. So that the gathering of the sons of the kingdom is maintained. This is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Christ will come, and when he comes, a very literal hell will await the sons of the evil one. And a very literal heaven will await the sons of the kingdom. I love verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. This is what we anticipate. This is what we long for. This is what we take to the world around us. Because in this age, and in this age alone, Is the offer of grace. When this age is closed. The harvest is here. The reapers will distinguish. The fire will blaze. And the barn will be filled. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. For our growth in grace. Father thank you for these words. Thank you for the spirit. Who inspired their record. And has preserved them for us. Thank you for the gift of having them translated into our own language. More importantly, we are grateful that you have planted us in the field. We embrace the reality that you are reigning from heaven and yet your reign has not been consummated in its fullness. Teach our hearts to look With awareness at the world around us. To see clearly the circumstances. Of the world around us. Teach us to understand. And to grasp that there are only. Weeds and wheat. And in this age. There is the potential. Of weeds being transformed. Into wheat according to your gospel. May we understand. The enemy's scheme. May we not distrust. Or discredit your perfect plan. May we not think you have failed or that your kingdom has failed in any way because of the unbelief around us. But may we be more concerned about the enemy's work. May we be more aware of his agenda to corrupt and to sidetrack your kingdom purposes, to deceive all in any that he can. And may we be emboldened by the grace available through the cross to take the message of the gospel to the field, to the world around us, knowing that the close of the age is coming. The harvest is coming. The reapers will divide the crop. May we be active in pursuing your purpose of collecting a people called by your name for your glory, for the exaltation of your son through the power of your spirit in the the power of the word of the cross. May this be our motivation. May the parable of the weeds and the wheat not soon leave us. Affect us, Father. May Grace Church be different as we leave than when we came. Because we have encountered your word. And your spirit has applied it to our hearts. May our grace group times this week be opportunities to shape and mold each other's thoughts as we consider these texts. May your spirit be active through the grace of fellowship. Of provoking one another toward love and good works. Which is our practice when we have assembled together. Thank you for your, your perfect wisdom. Thank you for the revealing and concealing miracles. And for ears to hear. This is the song of our praise because of Christ and through the Spirit we offer it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that's an encouragement to you. It's a fascinating account. Um, Jesus, uh, this is going to sound so trite, Jesus is, is amazing at all times, but this is an amazing part of his ministry. Uh, he was doing these stories on the fly on the go and they are fascinating and the truths that he's revealing and concealing mean everything to us. This is the world in which we live. He's interpreting it for us, helping us see it accurately. I have one more thing before we go, we're going to be dismissed. I hope that you'll stop by the hub. If you've not been by the hub, make sure you swing in there, ask the workers who are uh, the faithful upward people, ask them what's new at the hub. What's going on here that I should know about. Um, Where are the OCC boxes? Where are the resources that are being presented to us and made available to us? Make sure you stop there. It's for your benefit. Secondly, grace groups this week, be there. Make it a priority to fellowship with God's people through this outlet. If you're not able to be there, be sure to fellowship with God's people in some other outlet, actively pursuing the encouragement that God intends and designed for your growth. And thirdly, Parent and baby dedication is next Sunday. For those of you who have not jumped on that, you need to, no matter what the age of your kids, within reason, I guess, for their sakes, uh, you're open and available. Welcome to take part in that. You need to call the office this week and talk to David. Finally, there is one final prayer request that I want to pray for together before we go. We were made aware this morning, right before our service, that Jill Tave's dad um, had a very serious eye injury take place this morning. His retina detached from his eye. Uh, basically, if he does not find a surgeon who can do the surgery today, he loses his sight. I mean, this is it. Uh, he will not be able to see from that eye. So I want to pray for him collectively. Maybe while you're at lunch, as you thank the Lord for the food, also remember uh, Jill's dad. And uh, let's pray that God would work in this circumstance. This is a man who knows Christ, who is also trusting Christ, who is content in his circumstances. Let's pray for God's word work to be done and purposes to be accomplished. Uh, through this situation, even as we go. Father, thank you for Jill. Thank you for Patrick, for Jonathan and Stephen, and for little Rachel. And we are thankful for the opportunity to care for their family this morning. This is a very desperate situation. Physical sight is one of the, the greatest gifts that you've given us as human beings. The opportunity to see your handiwork, to see your creative power, to worship you through our sight. I pray for this brother as he awaits word from you, really providentially, whether or not you will grant him sight any longer in this eye. I pray that you would comfort his heart, that you would deepen his commitment to you. His understanding of your loving care, of your sovereign plan would be would be broader and deeper today than it has ever been. And we pray that you would provide the right people. To accomplish exactly what you have planned in this circumstance. We submit to you and to your plan. And we desire to see his eye preserved. Thank you for the opportunity practically just to uphold one another this morning as we go. Go with us in grace. We rest in you. We rest in the cross. We lean upon the sacrifice that was made in our place. The life of obedience that was lived in our place. And the tomb that is empty providing eternal life for us. Use us for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.